Tonight, we're not going to be in Genesis. We're going to pause uh, Genesis tonight. I want to share out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and looking at God being the God of all comfort. So 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11. This section of scripture, God's really been speaking to me over the last uh, couple of months as I was in my devotions going through 2 Corinthians, so I wanted to share it with you tonight and hope it's an encouragement for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the, the Father of mercy, that you don't give us the judgment that we deserve, and you have compassion towards us and grace towards us. Thank you that you're the God of all comfort. And tonight we don't want to just read about your comfort, but we pray that we could experience it, that we could dive fully into your comfort and to your peace. Lord, I'm sure for many there's suffering and difficulty and confusion in their life, and would you break through and bring your comfort. So Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing like comfort food, especially when the weather is cold, right? My wife, she makes some really good homemade chicken noodle soup and homemade bread and a salad. When I have that chicken noodle soup and that homemade bread, oh, it's just comfort to the soul. There's nothing like a good pumpkin pie this time of year to provide some comfort to the soul. Or how about a comforting beverage, like a good cup of coffee? Does it get any better than the comfort of a cup of coffee or a hot chocolate or a tea I hate to admit I'm starting to drink some tea in the afternoons. There's a certain box of tea called Bengal Spice. I call it Bengal Tiger. It's pretty good tea. It's it's comforting uh, to the the soul. Or a nice pair of PJs. Maybe you've got your favorite pair of PJs that when you just get inside those uh, PJs, you begin to feel comfort. Well, tonight we're going to look at God's claim of who he is, his promise to be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our uh, tribulation. As I was reading on this and meditating on it, it was uh, encouraging and challenging to me to not just know of God's comfort and to share God's comfort with others, but really to experience it for myself. I think for many, this might be a a section of scripture that you've heard before, or you've shared uh, with others, but it's another to really be fully experiencing the comfort of God. And also, the challenge has been for me to see trial and suffering and difficulty in my life differently, to see what God may be doing in the midst of that suffering. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the second letter, the second epistle that Paul has sent to the church of Corinth. And in this particular letter, he's more autobiographical with his personal pain than he is in any of his other epistles. If you're going through a season of suffering or difficulty, the whole entire book of 2 Corinthians is for you because it really shows where Paul found his source of encouragement. So we get right into the meat of it. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God 
of all comfort. So this is his introduction in this letter, and he's praising God for who he is. And he first reflects on the relationship between the Father and the Son. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this union and communion that the Father and Son enjoy together. And then he points us to the Father of mercy. Now, how do you view God? And first, do you view him as a father? Do you view him as your dad, your papa, your Abba Father, who is merciful to us? That he pours out his mercy into our lives and that he gives us what we don't uh, deserve. In Psalms 103, it tells us that God looks at us as a father with compassion that has pity upon his children, that we're mere dust, that we're made from the dust. Oftentimes our expectation of ourselves is higher than God's expectation of us. You know, we're expecting this and God's having compassion on us going, oh, I remember you guys are dirt clods, right? Not in that you don't have value. You're created in God's image. God's done a miracle through the elements of the dirt to create us in his image, but we're mere dust. We're made out of the elements of the dust. We expect this out of ourselves, but God has compassion towards us. He's a father of mercy. So our understanding of God's comfort is going to be very much closely related to our understanding of him as father. As we're enjoying him as father, then we're able to enjoy the comfort of God. And then God makes this statement about himself that he's the God of all comfort. It's a title that's given to him, that he owns comfort in a sense. When we think of comfort foods or those comforting drinks or those comforting PJs, it's nothing compared to the comfort that God has in and of himself. So verse four, it says, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. This is quite a statement of God. This is quite a a promise of God that he would comfort us in all of our tribulation. Now let's think about this for a moment. Is it only the tribulations that are one to five on a difficulty scale? Is that all he's able to, to comfort us in? Or can he handle the eights and nines and tens, the most difficult things that you can possibly imagine. The depth of this promise is, no matter how difficult it gets, that God's comfort is greater still. That his comfort can meet us in the most exhausting, difficulty, crushing battles and blows of this life. He is the God of all comfort. Now, let's pause here for just a moment because we could very quickly read on to the next verse, especially with this being an introduction to an epistle. But how do we receive the comfort of God? How do we go from knowing that God is the God of all comfort and really experiencing it in our hearts and our lives? For me, this is what I found in my uh, experience, and I think it lines up with what we see in, in Scripture. Maybe you can relate in some ways. We don't experience the comfort of God unless we come to him. For it to go from the pages of scripture into the depths of our hearts, we have to come to the Lord seeking his comfort. David, many times writing in the Psalms, talks about God being his refuge, which is synonymous with God being our comfort, and having to come to God for refuge. That that refuge is there, but I have to come to, to the Lord. 
And sometimes, many times, most times, that's a process. At least it is for me. Sometimes it's my own stubbornness that keeps me from coming to God, from being headstrong and thinking, I can solve this on my own. Sometimes there's a resentment in my heart and going, okay, I know that God's in control. I know that God is sovereign, so God has allowed this, and I'm not sure if I like this. So I don't know if I'm ready to go to God for his comfort. And maybe that's where you find yourself this evening and since you're having a wrestling match with God saying, well, I'm not coming to you for comfort because I am not liking the fact that in this moment I'm, I'm in difficulty. Uh, sometimes in our lives it can be an issue of busyness. We're, we're just so, so busy even though there's this pain in our lives We're not taking the time to go to the Lord for comfort. But to experience his comfort, we have to come to him. I remember uh, in high school, my best friend at the time, she passed away in a car accident. My parents came to my school and gave me the news of it. And it wasn't like I cognitively made this decision. But what I did for about two or three months is I didn't come to God for comfort. I was upset and feeling resentful. And then eventually, the pain got so bad, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I got on my knees and cried out to the Lord and asked that he would comfort me in the midst of that that loss. But you're going to go somewhere with your pain. You're going to go to something, to someone, to be a comforter. And ultimately, God's the only one that can comfort. So it starts with coming to him, but then it goes into a conversation having a a conversation with God. And we see this taking place in scripture in so many accounts. John the Baptist is in prison and he begins to doubt whether Jesus is the Messiah. Even though he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove and heard the Father speak from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But in the difficulty he's doubting, sends a messenger to Jesus asking that question, and then a messenger responds from Jesus to John the Baptist, and even though it's happening via text, via a messenger, it's a conversation that's happening between Jesus and John the Baptist, where ultimately John the Baptist receives comfort. We find this with Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament. He's wrestling with hard questions about God, And he has the guts to have the conversation with God, to ask the questions, and then make the time and space for God to meet with him. He says, I'm not going to leave this rampart, this fortress, until I've heard with God. And God met him in time. Jeremiah, who was the prophet of God, he decided to file 501c3 and become non-profit, right? He says, look, I I don't want to be a prophet anymore. God, forget this. I'm not going to speak your word anymore. There's too much suffering. And he's crushed and has a conversation with God. And God meets him in the midst of that. Elijah, the prophet, gets to the point where he's despairing of life. He doesn't want to live any longer. Says, God, take me to heaven. And in that, the Lord meets him and is still small voice. All these examples in scripture. The Psalms, when you read the Psalms, are rich with a conversation with God. Sometimes the psalmist is so mad, he's saying, just bust their teeth out. 
I wonder if we would feel comfortable enough with God to say, Lord, would you just break their face? I'm so mad at them. I, I just wish that you would break their face. Like, get their teeth while, while you're at it, right? But the psalmist has a change of perspective as there's that conversation with God. And it's so important to have that conversation in order to receive the comfort. And then where this leads is ultimately to surrender and trust. Surrender and trust. For me, the comfort doesn't come into my life until I surrender. I can feel it inside of me when I let go. And I give over the pain and I give over the difficulty to God and I begin to express, God, I trust you. And then God begins to pour out his comfort into my life. Now, this will look a little bit different for all of us, but I think these elements will be there in this journey of experiencing God's comfort, is to come to him, to have conversation with him, to surrender and trust, to not just bearing the pain, but bringing the pain before the Lord. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as God comforts us, he comforts us for the purpose that we can be a comforter to someone else. And we get to comfort them in any trial, not just the specific trial that we're going through, but they may be going through something that we've never been through, but all of a sudden we can now be a comforter to them because we have been comforted by God. We really become much better ministers and servants of Christ once we've gone through pain and experienced God's comfort. Because instead of being quick to have a judgmental spirit or to say, look, I've got all of this figured out and look, I can solve this for you, we're much more apt to listen, to weep with those who weep and to gently point them to the comforter. To gently to say, here's the Lord. And the Lord's the one who can provide comfort in our lives. But we need to remember this in our suffering and our pain is that God wants to comfort us so that we can comfort others. Because when we're in a deep time of sorrow, the tendency is to only look at ourselves, right? And we miss all of the people around us that are hurting. Are you hurting tonight? There's people in here that are hurting as well. Are you hurting when you're at the grocery store? There's people that are hurting in the grocery store. When you're at work, there's people that are hurting. And, and to be able to say, look, I'm going to look outward and see how God would use me to be a comforter. In verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. As we experience suffering, it gives us an opportunity to receive the comfort of Christ, the encouragement. Consolation means encouragement. And what Paul is saying here is to the degree that I suffer, to the degree that I go through trial, is the degree that I have the opportunity to be able to receive the comfort and the encouragement of Christ. And for us to see our suffering this way, and as Paul journeyed with the Lord, he began to say, I would rather have the suffering so that I can relate my suffering to Christ and know him in a greater way. So here's the question I want you to wrestle with for a moment. Are you relating your broken heart to Christ? 
Are you relating your suffering to, to Christ? Because whatever we've gone through, Christ has gone through. Are you experiencing rejection? Christ has experienced rejection. Are you experiencing the reality of what the human experience is? Christ has experienced that. He's a man of sorrows. He's a man of suffering. As, as he died upon the cross, he fully understands. You know, have you been betrayed by someone who is close to you, a friend? Christ has been betrayed by, by Judas. And to see the suffering is not a bad thing. I'm so quick to go, man, suffering is so bad. And God's going, no, it's so good. Here's, here's an opportunity for you to abound in the encouragement of Christ. And Paul had his fair share of difficulty. He had his fair share of suffering. I want you to turn with me over to 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul gives us a list of his suffering. Second Corinthians 11 verse 22 says, are there any Hebrews? So am I. Are there any Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Now he lists what he's gone through. I more in labors more abundantly in stripes above measure, being whipped, in prison more frequently, in deaths often. For the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, and perils of Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among the false brethren. Everywhere he went, he got his can kicked. Can you think of any more places where you can have perils? In weariness, and toil, and sleeplessness, often, in hunger, and thirst, and fastings, often, in cold, and nakedness, beside the others, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." This is the suffering that Paul went through. And then continue with me in chapter 12 and look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to muffer me, lest I should be exalted above measure. We don't know what the thorn was, but we know it was in his flesh. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Ask the Lord three times, would you take it away? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproach, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong." saying to the degree that I experience suffering gives me the opportunity to experience encouragement, the consolation of Christ. And God said no to taking away Paul's difficulty, and Paul says okay. He goes beyond saying okay, and he says, I will boast in these hard times because it allows me to know the grace of Christ, and it allows me to know the strength of Christ. And this is what has been challenging me, to, to really begin to see 
trials in my life as an opportunity and to relate it to Christ's suffering. Let's go back to chapter one and look at verse six. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which, all, which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation in salvation. Paul knew that God was going to use his suffering in the lives of others. So I'm confident this is going to result in your encouragement and in your salvation. Now, they're already saved, but it speaks of the encouragement that they would experience through Paul's suffering. Have you ever watched a fellow believer go through an intense time of suffering and you see Christ in their life? It's not even necessarily something that they're trying to conjure up. It's just the reality of Christ being in them. And in a sense, it becomes a living epistle in front of your very eyes. You go, wow, I see Christ in a greater way because of the suffering that they're going through and how Christ is manifest through the suffering. Lazarus died and was risen again. And the gospels tell us that people came to see John and Lazarus because he was risen from the dead. Lazarus got defined by his suffering. There's the guy that died and rose again. <laughs> and many times our suffering defines us and will become a, an opportunity to encourage others. In verse 7, and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will be partakers of the consolation of the encouragement. Paul didn't allow himself to get overwhelmed by the suffering in the church of Corinth. He says, I have hope that even though you're suffering, you're going to experience the comfort of Christ in this. So this is how we see suffering in our own lives, but also this is how we see suffering in those that we love. Saying, okay, it's so hard to see them suffer, but I know that it's going to result in their comfort in Christ, their consolation in Christ. I have this hope, this expectation that God is going to use this in their life. Maybe what you're overwhelmed with tonight is not trial in your life, but it's trial in somebody else's life. And it's wiped you out. And to be able to say, though my heart is broken for them, I still have a steadfast hope of knowing that they're going to experience the comfort of Christ in the midst of this difficulty. So what does suffering give us the opportunity for? A lot of chicken noodle soup, right? It gives us the opportunity to experience the comfort of God. It gives us the opportunity to become a comforter. And then lastly, it gives us the opportunity to not trust in ourselves. Yes, we had this sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We have a sentence of death in ourselves. There's some Christmas encouragement for you right there. In and of yourself, you can't do it. In and of yourself, you're nothing, right? Through Christ, you can do all things. But in and of ourselves, we can't succeed. In and of ourselves, we're, we're going to fail. And suffering and trial has a good way of breaking us of independence. 
It's a good way of reminding us, oh, I can't get through this season on my own. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who does the miraculous, the God who raises the dead. Now let's all be honest for just a moment. When things are going well, it's pretty easy to trust in ourselves, isn't it? It's easy to fall into that temptation of, yeah, I'm doing pretty good here. I'm working hard here. Things are coming together and things are smooth. And, and yet when things are difficult and we're getting our can kicked, we find ourselves broken. We find ourselves not prideful and not arrogant on our knees before God saying, God, you've got to show up. And God, you've got to get me through this. And my only hope is you. And God in his love for us at times allows us to suffer so we have the benefit of not trusting in ourselves. Part of this trial for the Apostle Paul is that he wouldn't get puffed up, that he wouldn't get exalted above measure, and he would really trust the Lord and be in this place of humility. And he sees suffering as giving him that opportunity. Write this down, I'll read it to you. It's Jeremiah 17, five through nine. It contrasts trusting in ourselves and trusting in the Lord. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in Southern Colorado, I mean in the desert, and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land which is not inhabited. So that's what happens when we trust ourselves. We shrivel up and die. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted in southern Oregon by the waters, which spread out its roots by the river, and will not fear when the heat comes. For its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So it's a great blessing in our lives when we stop trusting in ourselves and we're trusting in the Lord who has the ability to do all things. He has the ability to raise from the dead. In verse 10, who delivers us from such a great death and does deliver us and whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So we think about what God's done in our lives in the past. How has the Lord delivered you from death in the past? We think about when we received Christ as our Savior and trusted him for salvation. We think of how he has met our needs in the past, seen us through dark days in the past. One of the big things for the children of Israel was to keep memorials to remember God's faithfulness in their lives. Because God knew their tendency would be to forget. That's what the Passover feast was all about, to remember God's deliverance out of Egypt. That's why when they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land supernaturally, they got the 12 strongest guys, one from each tribe, said, grab a huge stone. We want to pile these stones so future generation will say, why are all these big rocks piled up here? Well, that's because when God dried up the Jordan River and we crossed into the promised land on, on dry ground. What are the memorials in your life? Where, where's those times where you go, you know, I know God was faithful here. He's been faithful in the past. He, he delivered me. And then to focus on what he's doing in the present in whom we trust that he does deliver us. 
And this is where we see Paul actively engaging his faith to say, I'm trusting right now in the midst of this, this difficulty that God is working and that he is, is moving. And then there's this confidence in the future in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Saying, look, I'm, I'm looking forward into the future and the trials and the difficulties and God is gonna continue to be faithful. Does this mean everything's gonna go Paul's way? Does this mean that it's the American dream outcome? No, it doesn't mean that you're always cured of cancer. It doesn't always mean that you get your job back. But it's knowing that God's gonna be faithful in this situation. He's not gonna abandon me and he's gonna use it for uh, his glory. The center of verse 10 is to think about the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is what has caused us to be delivered, and so we trust that God will be faithful in the future as well. In verse 11, it says, you also helping together in our prayers for us, that thanks may be given by any person on our behalf for the gifts granted to us through prayer. Two applications here is ask for prayer. If you're going through suffering and difficulty, to those you trust that you know that are going to pray, ask them for prayer. And Paul says, I know your prayers have benefited us in the midst of this trial and this difficulty that we're going through. But then also to pray for others that are going through difficulty. You know someone who is going through trial and, and going through difficulty is to pray for them and to lift them up in prayer. Both express a confidence in prayer. When we're asking in prayer, we're believing in the power of prayer. When we're praying for others, we're believing in the power of prayer. Suffering provides the opportunity for us to be comforted by God, to experience his consolation. Are you coming to him to be comforted? If not, why not? Why not come to him to be comforted? And I suggest to you this morning, you will go to something, to someone, to try to find a source of comfort. And it will be a substitute that only God can, can provide. Sometimes it's drowning your sorrows in drugs and alcohol, looking for comfort in, in that way. Sometimes it's busyness. Maybe if I just get so busy that I won't ignore the, the pain in my life. There's a lot of different ways that we can look to find, find comfort, but ultimately God is the one. God is the one that comforts us. And to be able to relate it to Christ and see our suffering through what, what Christ has gone through. Part of the mission of Jesus is to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captive free. He came to pay the penalty for our sin and break the power of sin, but he also came to heal our broken hearts. And this is a process. It takes time. It takes some diligence, but seek God out for his comfort. Come to him. Have a conversation with him. Trust him. And open yourself up to the comfort of God so that you can be able to comfort others. You know, sometimes it's overwhelming all the things that are taking place in this world. 
but it does give us a great opportunity to pass on God's comfort, doesn't it? And your life can become an oasis, a refuge, a breath of fresh air that points people to the comfort of Christ. And then suffering allows us to not trust in ourselves, to see it as a great gift. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. Because I know my tendency would be to trust in myself and probably brag about myself. But this is helping me to be able to trust in you. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to pray. And I want to pray for you. If you're in a place where you're saying, man, I could use the, the comfort of God and to raise your hand to the Lord and, and right now to begin this process of coming to God for comfort. And then we have uh, some missionaries that are here that are going to uh, share with us, Romeo and, and Jessica, or there's some of our missionaries in, in Peru. And then after they share, I'm going to come back up and, and lead us into a time of uh, communion. So let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And we don't want to just read about it, but we want to experience it. And so many times we're really good at hiding our pain, but you see our pain. God, you see those tonight that are hurting and looking for answers and that are overwhelmed and in a place of, of despair. If you go, man, this is exactly what I needed to hear tonight and I need to experience the comfort of God, would you raise your hand and just leave it up for a moment and Give me the opportunity to pray with you. So. His hands are going up in the sanctuary. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. If you maybe big or small, you know, maybe a three on the scale or maybe a ten, but you're saying, I could really use God's comfort tonight. Just raise your hand to the Lord. And let me pray with you. God, you see these hands all over the sanctuary. And they represent a life, a life that you love, a life that you died for, and that you rose again and you know the suffering. You know the difficulty. You know the feelings of, of being overwhelmed. And God, we ask as a church family that you would come and you would provide your comfort and your peace, a peace that surpasses understanding, that you would lead them to still waters and green pastures and prepare a table before them, that they would experience you, the, the Father of all mercy. And may tonight be the beginning of a process of, of you really healing hearts and you bringing comfort and hope. So Lord, we, we thank you for them and we lift them up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.